to the Mom Village Podcast. We are three multicultural moms sharing our journey through motherhood with the Christ Center Foundation. For information and resources, visit us at our church's website at gofamilychurch.org. Or you can also email us at themomvillage at gofamilychurch.org. And please go over and follow us on Instagram at themomvillagefc. We're glad that you're here and welcome to our village. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Mom Village. We are so excited we're here with you guys. We have an amazing, amazing episode. My name is Chismarie Ramos, and I'm here with my ladies, like always, Kira Kelly. Hey, Village. Kristen Scroggins. Hi, ladies. And we have an amazing guest that I'm so excited. Kira's going to introduce for us. Kira, who do we have with us today? Well, you know what? I don't want to give too many things away, but let me just tell you, this woman that we have here in the studio with us, she has traveled 41 countries. So if that doesn't pique your interest, just <laughs> keep listening. I'm going to allow her to introduce herself and tell us all about who she is and a little bit about your family. So guest, take it away. All right. Well, Maraban Kariatu me. Assalamu alaikum. I love it. That's uh, wow. just a greeting in Arabic. And I'm Kim Wells. I grew up actually in Seattle, Washington, and some of you are going to pick up on that Southern twang. I, I don't know what happened. <laughs> I, I moved to the South, started drinking sweet tea and eating okra, and the next thing you know, I had a twang. Kind of comes with it, but yeah, I grew up out there. I ended up joining the military, which took me uh, to many countries, and then became a Christian and started uh, serving the Lord, and that took me to a whole bunch of other countries and and it all kind of wound down to where I landed here in West Palm. So <laughs> I'm so glad to be with you guys this morning. So share with us a little bit about your siblings, your mom, your upbringing. Tell us. Yeah, sure. So my mom is single mom. And so I know you guys had a podcast not too long ago about single motherhood mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. all the challenges that go with that. So certainly can resonate with some of that. My mom has three children. I'm the oldest. And then my brother we're six years apart, and then my sister were 18 years apart. Oh, wow. So I, I tease my mom because she had a kid every decade, 1977, <laughs> 1983, and 1994. Wow. So, that is pretty amazing. I know. I know. And you guys have kids. I think they're all kind of tightly packed. So yeah. Um, yeah. to think that you're basically done and you're starting over. But, yeah, that's quite we a We need your mom on the village. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah. so, yeah, now we, we, like I said, we all live out, out west. But now my brother lives in Guadalajara, Mexico, and oh, then my wow. sister lives here with me in West Palm. And I think, you know, my mom, I think back those years, uh, she's just a hard, hard worker. And I think learning that from her and then also seeing like she just didn't have any quit in her. And, you know, the challenge of being a single mom, of course, kids are good receivers of information, not good processors. So back then I thought it was, you know, unfair and unjust and the amount of hours she had to work and all that. But I look back now and I think, man, what a woman who... Mm was able to hold it all together and, mm -hmm. and raise three kids on her own in obscene struggle. And so it all formulates who we are. Yeah, it <sighs> seems like you learn a lot from her. So that's awesome. Tell us, how old were you when you decided to join the armed forces? Which branch? And um, where in the world have you been stationed? Like all those little details, your work, what were you in charge of? We want to know all about it. All the deets? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. So um, the good, the bad, and the ugly. <laughs> yeah. So I I actually made really good choices through high school. I had just for whatever reason the Lord put it in me. Even then, I, I didn't know the Lord, but I I didn't want to drink. I didn't want to 
drug. I didn't want to sleep around. Like I, I didn't, all of that lifestyle, I was very adamant I was going to stay away from all of that and made it through high school with that as a, a kind of a standard that I set for myself. And then went through a season after that where it was like everything I had not been doing through high school all happened in the, the same little season. And so all these back-to-back instances of I got in a car accident, totaled my car that I had dropped out of college to buy, which, you know, so the, the decision-making, you know, in that season was stellar. <laughs> um, and then my boyfriend went to jail. And so all these things just kind of started adding up. And I was like, oh my goodness, like my life is falling apart. What, what am I going to do? I mean, you know, I'm 19. So everything at 19 is like forever. Yeah. And so I, I said, I need to do something drastic. And so I started looking at the the armed forces as really just a ticket out of town. There was no, you know, sense of duty or honor or anything like that at that moment that what propelled me to the service, it was to get out of Dodge. Mm-hmm. And so I talked to a couple of different recruiters and ended up with an Air Force recruiter. I tested really well with in mechanical, which most women don't for whatever reason. I know how to pulley works, I guess. I don't know. Um, <laughs> she knows a little more than that. Yeah. We know that. <laughs> and so uh, the job I wanted was air traffic controlling, but there was like a nine month wait period. And so I said, well, what do you have right now? And the recruiter said, well, you can be a munitions systems journeyman. And I was like, well, what's that? <laughs> and he's like, you know, stuff that explodes. And I said, well, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I uh, went in the Air Force uh, uh, in, in the career field of munitions. And so I got to learn how to arm and maintain all kinds of explosives. Everything from small arms like, you know, 9 mil, 5.56, the little little guys, so cool. um, up to massive, you know, 2,000 pound bombs and missiles. And, and so it's, you're the friends who have, just in case. <laughs> yeah, just, just in case. <laughs> uh, and so that that took me you know, to Texas for training, then to Germany is where I was stationed at Ramstein Air Base, which you see in some movies from time to time. And, and really that, that decision right there is, is I would say the hinge that changed my life completely. Cause it was when I got to Germany that I met a Christian for the first time that was bold in their faith and shared the gospel with me. So, wow. well, so that, that actually leads us into our next question, Kim, tell, tell us about that because you, you mentioned how in high school, looking back now, you can see that God was working in your life, kind of keeping you from some things that would make life even more difficult. But you didn't know him at that point. So you just kind of alluded to that. But get more in depth with us and tell us, how did you receive Christ? And who was that person that shared the gospel with you? Yeah, it's honestly such a a remarkable story, Kristen, because growing up in an environment where we didn't go to church. God was not in the conversation other than, you know, like times of great conflict or stress. It'd be like, you know, cry out to God. Well, who's God? I mean, mm-hmm. it was not part of our life. And I remember even in high school, there was a, a, a Christian girl that I kind of made fun of. I thought, I really thought that that was, you know, a lifestyle for weak people that needed a crutch and that their happiness and joy and all that was actually found in just wisdom and, and becoming intellectually strong and so I had no interest in that really my whole adult life. I was 20 years old when I got to Germany and inside the shop that I was stationed in was a young man um, named Lee Elwanger, who was a, a new believer and he had been won to Christ by another guy in the shop. And so he was, you know, when you're new believers tend to have a little more boldness. I think that's just God's way of like yeah. the excitement and the thrill yes. of it all. Mm-hmm. And so he would, he started inviting me to Bible study really every Friday night and yeah, I'd give him excuses. Lee, I don't have a Bible. He's like, I'll give you one. I'm like, well, you know, then if I'm like, that's just not my thing. He's like, okay. You know, and then the next week, hey, Kim, we're having Bible study tonight. Would you like to come? <laughs> and so, you know, he wasn't 
irritating, but at po- one point I was just like, Louie, I'll tell you what, if I go one time, will you stop asking <laughs> he me? He wore go? you down. <laughs> he did. Thank you, Lee. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, he said, yeah, if you come one time, I'll, I'll stop asking. So I went to this Bible study off base. There were some missionaries that are missionaries to the American military. This is what they've been called to do. And part of their ministry was they had a singles ministry that reached out to single service members on the base. And they had this Bible study, and they were singing songs I didn't understand, and they were happy, and I didn't know why. I thought, you know, they were weird. Mm-hmm. And after after the service, the pastor, he's with the Lord now, but he just pulled me aside and said, you know, if you die today, would you go to heaven? And I said, I don't know. Can anybody know? And he's like, as a matter of fact, let me show you. And so for the first time in my my life, 20 years of living on planet Earth, somebody sat down with a Bible and showed me through the Romans road. I know what it was. I know what it is now. I didn't then, but showed me these verses about being a sinner, separated from God, needing Jesus. In my mind, I was like, this is a cult. Just nod and smile and get out of here. This is a cult. <laughs> nod and smile and get out of here. Yeah. That was the battle that was raging inside. And and so they were very sweet. I didn't receive Christ then. Uh, but he, when I went to leave, he gave me a little gospel track called God's Simple Plan of Salvation. And they've been around for decades. They're pink and pink and gray and I had that with me and went back, kind of just went back to my life. And it was another Friday night, a couple weeks later, I was out drinking with the guys on the, the, the way the dormitories are. You kind of stand outside and everybody just drinks on the, the patio. And I see Lee come back from instantly. I knew where he was coming back from. <laughs> it was Friday was, night. It was Friday night. Exactly. <laughs> and I'm up there, you know, bold as day with my beer, having a good time. And when he came walking by, I put the beer behind my back. Like mm. I was like, Hey Lee, you know, and I just hit it. And that night I went back to my room and it that, that like jarred me because I was like, why, why was I ashamed? Like, mm-hmm. he's the weirdo. I'm the normal person. <laughs> like, if anybody should be ashamed, hide that Bible, you know? <laughs> and, but God used that moment to, it was almost like light broke through in, in darkness that said, hey, there's something here. There's a reason why you felt shame. Yeah. And so I found that gospel tract that that pastor had given me and I read it, didn't understand it, read it again, and, you know, and just kept reading it and that night, August 16th, 1997, that I understood what that, that gospel track was saying. And right there alone in my little dorm room at Ramstein Air Base, I asked the Lord to come into my heart and save me. And and really the next morning I went over and I'm beating on Lee's door. I'm like, hey man, you going to church tomorrow? <laughs> and he's like, yeah. <laughs> I was like, can I go with you? I'm all excited. And he's like, I guess. And uh, no, he was like, yeah, that's yeah. You can come to church with me. He didn't understand. Like, I don't even know how to, I didn't know what had happened. So I didn't know how to talk about it. And he didn't know to ask, you know, but I went to church and I bumped into that same pastor and he said to me, you know, kind of at the end of the service, he said, Hey, when are we going to take care of that problem you have? And I was like, I ain't got no problem. What you talking about? (laughs) And, uh, he pointed to the track in his pocket and I, you know, again, new believe you don't know how to talk about it. I said, well, I mean, I, I don't know. I did what that thing said. So if it, if it works, <laughs> then I don't think I have a problem. <laughs> and uh, he's like, well, tell me about it. And so I told him, he said, well, what, you know, he started to teach me. He said, you know, okay, well, you've been born again. And he's like, do you know what's next? I said, no, <laughs> I sure don't. <laughs> he said, well, you need to be baptized. And I said, well, I have no idea what that is, but let's do it. Wow. <laughs> and so then that, that Sunday night I was baptized. And wow, um, yeah. yeah, it's kind of a kind of a amazing story that, you know, and I look back, I said, I look back now and I see how the Lord, all these events in my young life that, that brought me to make the decision to go in the military, to go to this base and get stationed with this guy all. And I really believe the, that God orchestrates all of that mm-hmm. as part of my plan, the salvation plan for me. And that that's just, 
you know, probably the most amazing thing. So yeah. one day you can come to the mom village and share with us. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, it's, it's amazing to me because I think you, you, you're talking about this guy, Lee, who was just an obedient guy yeah. who was just sharing his faith. He knew that you needed something that the Lord had given him. And he, Lee probably hasn't, none of our moms listening to this know Lee. Lee. <laughs> he hasn't written any books. He hasn't traveled the world. No, he's not famous, but he was obedient. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's such a, it's a huge, huge. part of your story. Yeah. So I, I think about that in motherhood, you know, like these moms are sitting around their tables teaching their kids. Nobody knows who any of us are, but but you are impacting whoever is God is allowing you to have a, this fear of influence. And now you, Kim, influence so many people. You've got yeah. a singles Bible study. You mentor women. And and Lee is a yeah. part of that, too, because Sorry, he was yeah. obedient. That's a, that's amazing. Wow. So, Kim, I, I don't know if you shared with us how long you were in the armed forces, but I'm sure over the time period that you were there, you saw tons of ways that God moved. Is there any particular story that you can share with our mom village of how you saw God's power moving or a story maybe you can share with us? Yeah, Kira. So I was active duty for four years and then I went to college and then I took a job as a civilian back in the Middle East working for the military. So on the base, really doing the same job I was when I was active duty. So for all intents and purposes, eight years of my life spent in and around the the military. When I was active duty, I got sent on a temporary duty to Kuwait. Um, This would have been in like 2000. And while I was there, the USS Cole was bombed off the coast of Yemen. I don't know if you guys remember that. 17 service members died and it was really the first time I had ever heard the name Mm Al-Qaeda. And I think they had been around really since the 80s. But that was one of those moments that was really just defining for me in terms of what they did, how they did it, the planning that was involved. And actually, some of those people ended up being part of the Mm 9-11 terrorist attack in in New York. And so that happened. And what that did to us, we went into what's called Threat Con Delta, which is just uh, that there was a terrorist attack. And so that was like, the I think the only time I would say that I had any fear or any like sobering, like, okay, this is real. real yeah. Like, the, like people actually just died and right near where we are. And one of the jobs I had, they sent me out to guard, I had to go actually outside the base and I had to guard the water truck. The, the water was piped into the base from, from outside. And usually you go in pairs for some reason on this day, we were short man or stretched thin or whatever. They sent me by myself and I was like, okay, seriously? Like, <laughs> I'm not G.I. Jane here. Like I, you know, I talk a big game, but this is the Air Force. Like we sit in the office and push buttons, right? And so I'm, I'm like, I got my flak vest, my helmet, my M16, and I'm out, and I'm literally outside the base, outside the berm, outside of all the protection. And I had to the guard. I stand out there and wait for the truck to come, and then I had to guard while he's putting the water in. And in my mind, I'm running all these scenarios of this incident had just happened. And I'm like, anybody could, this is open road. Anybody could come. So I'm planning like, okay, if someone comes here, I'm diving over here and I'm setting up. And <laughs> and it, it just kind of just in that moment, I was a believer at that point. And I think just pausing and remembering who God was and who he is and the protection that is found in him, mm-hmm. like it just brought me peace. And mm-hmm. so I was able to get through that moment. And then interestingly, on that same tour, before I went, I had been praying that God had put somebody in my path that I could share the gospel with. I mean, it's a, you know, a, a, the 1040 window, Arabic speaking country, the yeah. gospel is in short supply. And so any chance you can share. 
And they assigned me another day to a duty to to guard one of the contractors that was doing some building on the base. And I was praying like, God, give me an opportunity to share the gospel. We get in the car and he looks over at me. He says, hi, um, are you a Christian? (laughs) And I was like, you know, you you know, those moments where you're like stunned because you're you're thinking it's going to go this way and it ends up. And I was like, well, yeah, but not because I'm an American. I'm a Christian because I actually, you know, have faith in Christ. Well, long story short, he ends up unpacking his family history. He's from Madras, India, and he traces his spiritual family history all the way back to Thomas, who is, you know, it's it's reported that he actually, that's where he went and had done ministry. And so just to like that is, you know, is it true or not? I don't, but it's super fascinating. And to meet that guy and have fellowship with him in this, you know, this third country, him from India, me from America. Mm. Again, just an example of God orchestrating these events in my life. What amazed me is like you were placed in all these times and and difficulties that were happening and all this started to happen after you knew Christ. Like I wonder, you probably thought so many times like how would I react if I didn't have Christ in me, you know? You probably like you said, you have peace in your heart cuz you knew the the Lord was, you know, just keeping you calm and safe and and you know where you're going when you when you die. But imagine you the way you were feeling if you didn't have Christ and you were put in that situation to guard that water or to do any mission and how do those fellows, you know, friends of yours there like workers just working every day and all the, all these people, you know, and there's moms in the armed forces right now that are listening. Did they do this? Like, oh, they don't know Christ. Like, yeah. how do their hearts is feeling? You know, where are they putting their trust in? It's just amazing. So tell us how you how you gather with others to worship while you were overseas. You know, you you just sharing, you know, like you've been in different countries and most of these countries, you know, is, is forbidden Christianity or any other religion but theirs. So how do you how do you worship or gather just to, you know, have that worship time? Yeah, geez, but this was something that I learned in Qatar really as when I was doing that contract work. And, you know, I, I actually got saved and I'm so thankful I got saved in an environment uh, that was independent Baptist, which if you know anything about church denominations, they are very legalistic, but they are Bible teachers. Mm-hmm. And so as hard as that, you know, I look back and as hard as that that is in that environment in terms of the, the legalism, they, they taught me the word of God. And mm-hmm. I don't know like that, that, that I would have had it any other way. And going to a, a country like Qatar, where, yeah, um, it is actually illegal to be a Christian. It's illegal to gather as Christians. Um, you you learn in a real hurry that denomination doesn't really hold a whole lot of water. And so there was a small gathering of believers in a villa. And the government knew we were there. It was still illegal. They knew we were there. I think they kind of turned their eye to it because they needed Western labor to get, they have all this natural gas under the ground, but they didn't know how to get it out of the ground. They need Western labor to get it out. And so that's kind of like the the compromise, the compromise mm-hmm. that they made. And so to gather with these group of believers that are Presbyterian and Baptist and Lutheran and everything under the sun. And mm-hmm. the thing that united us was just simply faith in Christ. Wow. And is Jesus, you know, the son of God, he, you know, died on the cross for our sins. He alone, you know, is, uh, our Savior, and that united all of these people from all these different backgrounds, and we were so grateful because there are there's no other option. It's not like, oh, I don't like the Presbyterians. I'm going to go hang like that, that doesn't exist. So you set aside all of those periphery things that really don't matter. They're just not they're non essential because 
the value of fellowship and the value of being around mm-hmm. other other believers in a country that is very dark. And I grew to really love the Qatari people. They're they're wonderful people and they smell good. Oh, <laughs> Mom village. <laughs> Those Qatari women, they got these oils that I mean, they'll walk by you in the grocery store and you're like <laughs> you just sniff. you're like, man, that is so nice. But there's a heaviness and a darkness there because they don't have they don't have Christ. And so just being able to find a pocket of believers um, really just cha- changes everything. Wow, isn't that that's a huge teaching. Like I, I feel like nowadays we just find like the simplest of complaint just for us to either not go to a church or not talk to another non-believer or not to gather with your own family. Like there's so many excuses we have. And I love that story, Kim, because it's just that's how Christ's kingdom it is. You know, there's no skin color. There's no religion. There's no age. There's no nothing. Like I love that you're sharing that story because at the end of the day, you know, what really matters is like that we all believe in Christ, you know, mm-hmm. like you you guys didn't care like who was there, what were you wearing, at what time you shot, you know what, we're just gathering to worship the one and only, that's it, that's it. So there's nothing to separate us. And nowadays it's sad that our culture has so many, you know, we put so many boundaries and names and labels and and our, our, our young people are just growing up with all this this things is just crazy to me. Yeah, and interesting about that church too. Like, there's no paid staff. Like, there's it's not like there's a missionary there. So, you just end up with these group of people that get together, and it was like, you know, three or four of the men like would say, "I'll preach this week. I'll preach this week. I'll preach this week," and you never knew what you were going to get. But we figured it out. And then a couple people said, "Hey, I'll take care of the kids," and another couple people said, "Hey, wow. we'll do a, a Bible study. You know, like a Sunday school. No paid staff. Like this was not a you know a career field for anybody. It was just." believers doing what first century Christianity was like, mm-hmm. hey, we got to gather, we got to, someone's got to speak, someone's got to mm-hmm. take care of the, you know, and in an environment like that, you need that place of freedom to go and worship because I bet the yeah. daily things that you guys encounter each day is so heavy. You just needed that moment just to go breathe and worship. Yeah. I'm thinking about Kim, a single woman in the Middle East, in the military or serving the military respectively new believer, and you're always so positive, upbeat, hilarious, but there has to be some times that were really hard. And I wonder if you, like when I ask you, what was the hardest thing that happened over there? Is there one thing that just pops into your mind immediately? Um, Not really hard. I, I think, I don't know. I mean, maybe that's just the way I'm wired mm-hmm. that I kind of just roll with things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think you know, being separated from family. I know, I would say when I first went to Qatar, if, you know, if I rated my my spiritual walk on a scale of one to 10, like I, I showed up as a solid 10, mm. but being, being separated from, you know, even though we had this, this fellowship of believers, being separated from family, being separated, there were times when I ended up having to work seven days a week, 12 hours a day and being, not being able to go even to the fellowship. I could, I could sense within myself a drawing away from the Lord. And it, after about four years, I really wore down to the place where I was really even questioning whether I wanted to continue, you know, even pursuing God or, you know, being in, I really felt like God had called me to ministry. And really why I ended up taking the job in Qatar, I, I went to Qatar University in my off time to study Arabic, believing at some point that God would plant me in the 1040 window as a missionary. And that hadn't come to fruition yet, but in that four years, I really sensed a, a kind of a falling away, a backsliding, you know, whatever term you want to use. And I remember very clearly 
about three and a half years in, I, you know, one night I just said, God, you got to get me out of here. Like, mm-hmm. this is, this is not the direction we need to be going. And I hadn't gone off the deep end. I wasn't, you know, partying or anything, but when you get to know yourself, you know where your heart is. And if you're honest with yourself, you know when you're close to God and you know mm-hmm. when you're not. And if there's any warning sign that you can give yourself is that when you're not close to God, you've got to change something mm-hmm. because it's not going to get better on its own. You have to pursue him again. And the way I knew to do that was to get out of there. I need to get out of here. This is not, this is not working. So I think that probably was one of the hardest times. That's actually right before I came here. Mm-hmm. And so thank, thankful that the Lord did that because here we're rooted back in a, in a place where I'm around strong believers and it, it really does change. Things. Kim, you shared with me a story when you took a cab, you were not working and you took a cab and you saw how God worked that out that you ended up going to a place you shouldn't been there, but somehow God used that, that momentum to kind of be like, like a waking up. Will you share that story? Because I think it kind of goes with God again in the right time in the right place. Yeah. It's funny when you're in your forties and you look back, there's a few moments where you're like, that was dumb. (laughs) (laughs) Like that, that was really dumb. So one of those dumb seasons of my life, we had a a holiday weekend and I thought it would be a clever idea that where I was stationed at was pretty close to some other parts of the world. And so I thought, well, I've never been to Sri Lanka. And I remember a lot of my toys growing up were made in Sri Lanka. (laughs) So whatever, I thought for the weekend, I'm just going to fly over to Sri Lanka and you know, what could go wrong, right? And so I fly over, I'm staying in a um, a town called Negumbo, and the capital city is Colombo. And my great idea was that I wanted to take the the city bus or the town bus from Negumbo to Colombo. Now you got to understand, like, it's very inexpensive to do anything over there. It's third world country, everything's super cheap. Probably for $20, I could have had a private car with a private driver to take me anywhere in the country. I, I wanted, had any desire to go, but I wanted to take the city bus. I wanted to f- experience what it was like. And so I went to the desk and I asked the lady how I can catch the bus. And, you know, she's very puzzled. She's like, why do you want to do this? Like, you don't <laughs> understand. I, I'll get you a driver. I was like, I don't want a driver. I want to take the bus. And so after... you, you didn't look, you didn't look local enough, right? With your skin tone and your complexion. Oh, I definitely stuck out in Sri Lanka. <laughs> and so I find the bus station, I get on the bus and I'm like sandwiched between a lady who's holding a crate with a chicken in it and all these people like packing on the bus and like all eyes are on me. It's like, <laughs> it's super obvious. What are you doing? And I don't even know where to get off the bus. So I'm just on this bus and the lady next to me, I can see she's trying to work up, like, you know, the the gumption to say something to me. So all, all of a sudden she looks over and she says, American? <laughs> and I was like, yep. <laughs> does, it, does it show? Um, anyway, so I, I don't know where to get off this bus. And so I just was looking at signs and then I saw something that looked interesting. So I was like, all right, well, next stop, I'm just going to get off here. I get off the bus and I start walking. Well, then I'm into this kind of industrial area and I was like, hmm. Well, maybe if I just keep walking through here, it'll lead back to this main city. Well, all of a sudden, this guy in this like three wheel taxi comes up and he says, Madam, Madam, you are in the wrong place. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I'm good. I, I'm, I'm OK. I'm just out for a walk. He says, I've been to New York. I'm not going to hurt you. You are in the wrong place. No charge. I'll take you. Get in the, you know, and he was pretty persistent. So, you know, I think when the Lord sends you a life raft, aren't you supposed to take it or something? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I, his persistence and his, I said, okay. And so I get in this. And so he speaks really good English. And so I ended up working a deal with him to drive me around the city for the day. But basically I had ended up in a, a very dangerous industrial area with just 
men men for days. <laughs> and so he was like, you're just not, not in the right place. But that was really cool because he got to show me around Colombo. And then I got to meet a Hindu monk. And they really, you're not supposed to go in their temples. But they he was friends with the guy. And so he was able to, I guess, get me access. And I was able to even get a picture with the monk. I mean, I couldn't. He said, you cannot touch me. I said, I'm not going to touch you. <laughs> he's like, but I'll take a picture with you. I was like, all right. So kind of like half lean in. And, and uh, but again, God's provision, God looking out for my dumb decision. <laughs> that, that place, honestly, I've got um, just some great memories of that, like walking up on the beach and there there's this massive fishing industry. So you, you kind of come through the trees and then you're on the beach. And as far as the eye can see, right into the left is nothing but like tarps with all these fish on that they're drying. Wow. It's this massive industry. And again, you know, like it's like a movie, you step on the beach and everybody goes, and they look right at you because it's like, <laughs> what happened? Like, who are you and why are you here? Yeah, that was a, another adventure. Well, Kim, I'm sitting here. I'm like, I can imagine this being like a movie. I know, that, you know I know. Like I all can picture it. Going too. On. So um, share with our village how and when did you transition from your military life to civilian life? And how was that for you, that whole transitioning? Yeah. So after, you know, becoming a Christian, I think there's a point of salvation. And then there's like this whole nother step where you have to really surrender your life Mm -hmm. to God. And, Mm -hmm. you know, Christianity is either going to be part of your life or it's going to be your life. And I've reached that point about halfway through my, my tour in Germany where I was like, okay, this isn't going to just be a feature of me going to church on Sunday. Like this is going to be the centerpiece of my life. And I just really began praying like, God, what do you have for me? What, you know, I loved being in the military. I told you guys my reason for joining was not maybe, you know, for honor or any kind of altruistic reason. It was because I wanted to leave town. But after having been in, I fell in love with the military. I fell in love with the culture, with the camaraderie, with the the purpose. I love the mission of it. I loved being a part of all of that. And God really started laying on my heart to, to separate from the military and go to Bible college. And that was, that was tough because like I, for the first time in my life, I felt really, really secure. And I had like my own paychecks and I was in a safe environment. I had healthcare and, <laughs> and you know, when you're, you grow up and you don't have those things are not guarantees. It was like, okay, let me get this straight. You want me to let go of, of the my greatest yeah. thing, you know? <laughs> and, but part of surrender is, is just really releasing all of that and saying, <laughs> you know what? I have all these plans and desires, but here, I'm just going to open-handedly give those to you. Mm. And God, I'm going to trust that you've got a plan for all of this. And Ooh, so, that is good. Say that again. <laughs> uh, yes, yes. Come on. And so I separated in 2001 and actually went to Trinity Baptist College in Jacksonville. Yeah. And just, I had, there were some missionaries again in Germany that that's where they had gone to college. And so I went to visit and I was like, yeah, this is the place I need to be. And so I spent four years there studying all that. And so I think the transition of... You know, there's a there's a humility part of that because I I got a job at Walmart, right? So I go from being in the United States Air Force handling bombs to working like layaway at Walmart, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, and this is God's plan for my life, right? I'm like, God, I don't know what direction we're going, but it doesn't seem to be the right direction, you know. Um, but in humility, have to like you just have to receive that and say, you know what? Okay, this is part of this plan for today, and mm-hmm. and so I think the transition was just. In some ways, it was very different, Kira, but in some ways, like serving Uncle Sam and then serving God, there's some similarities there. And you know what? You just take your orders and you say, snap to, salute, yes, sir, and off you go. So I know then after that, you, you know, you were 
you had different jobs and different opportunities. Tell us, we have here in the notes, tell us about the milk story. What is that all about? Yeah, this is one of my favorite stories. So after I graduated from Bible college, I was hired as the first director for the Women and Children's Homeless Shelter that was a part of the Trinity Rescue Mission in Jacksonville, Florida. Trinity Baptist Church had had a, a, a homeless shelter for men for decades. And, you know, around that time, they they started to see that the number of homeless women and children was was growing. And so they opened this shelter and homeless ministry for men and homeless ministry for women and children are two different animals. And so the, the church people had grown over the years, very accustomed to the needs of what men have, which is basically a little bit of food, some underwear and socks, like they are good to go. Um, <laughs> but kids and y'all are moms. So, yeah. you know, with little kids, like milk is like primo importante. Yes. <laughs> um, milk and diapers. And so when you open a facility where you've got 19 family rooms and two dormitories, well, I went from being a mom of no children to a mom of a lot of <laughs> a lot of children. And every single day we'd go through gallons of milk. Mm -hmm. And the early days were very hard. I was working, I was living on site. I was working like 18 hour days, just exhausted, <sighs> trying to figure out how to how to, you know, these women, they don't have like one problem. Like every woman had like hundreds of problems and you're trying to just start, you know, working through some of them. And I just remember in particular one night I was, I was headed to bed. It was real late and I was kind of walking by the kitchen and it hit me that I hadn't looked to see how much milk we had. Mm. And so I like took a deep breath. I went in, I opened the fridge and it was like a, a half gallon. I was like, no, this isn't going to last. This isn't going to work. So I was kind of debating, do I go to the grocery store? Do I... I just wait till morning. And I just honestly, ladies, I was just so tired. And I said, we'll figure it out in the morning. So I went to my room and as I was dropping into bed, like I was I literally so tired I was, with my clothes on, I was just going to fall into bed and go to bed. And all I said was, God, I am not George Mueller, but we need milk. And I just <laughs> fell into bed and, and uh, said, well, you know, and so I woke up the next day getting ready and uh, get to the office. And one of the guys comes running over from next door. He's like, Miss Kim, you got to come see this. And I was like, okay, you know, like what? And he's like, you're not going to believe it. I said, okay, well, I'll see if I, if I see it, I'll believe it. You know? and, uh, <laughs> so he takes me over there and they had gotten a call that early that morning from a way station that a, a refrigerated truck had broken down and they needed to clear out the items they were going to spoil if they didn't get them cleared out. So of course the guys took the call and they're like, heck yeah, we'll go get it. You know? And so they go get all the stuff. Well, he opens this walk-in refrigerator and no lie, there are 150 half gallons of milk. <laughs> That had come off that refrigerated truck. Wow. And I like I was just like, you know, God answers prayer all the time, but not always is it within, you know, 12 hours in a very dramatic way. Yeah. <laughs> and that was just one of those. That's my one of my absolute favorite stories of, of the rescue mission because it was so dramatic and so clearly from the hand of God. Yeah. This is one of those times when the old saints would say, won't he do it? <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. That's well, right. It, you know, you, you made a joke that you weren't George Mueller, but to God, who cares? Yeah. You know, like he, he cares yeah. about his people. Equally, he shows no respect of persons, and he cared about Kim needing that milk just as much as he did the Apostle Paul, which is yeah. which is really amazing about our God because I, we I, tend not to be. That I love way how God how God has a good sense of humor. Mm -hmm. Like he can be 
that's yeah. What, yeah like you want milk I'll give oh you yeah milk. like <laughs> you want me to be very obvious and supernatural I can do it or I can talk to you in the quiet yeah. or I can talk to you with somebody else like God can just do it and that's such an encouragement for us moms because sometimes we we think God is going to talk to us like that all the time and we expect that but God sometimes is talking to us every day out of everything out of a person a situation and we just decide not to see it but we just wait for the miraculous big the gesture truck, yeah. yeah the milk truck you i'm gonna use that <laughs> yeah, yeah. we just wait for the milk truck but sometimes he's just still and the still in the quiet he is ministering to our hearts yeah and i think there was another there was a mom I, and it, one of the things at the rest of me, so i was trying to teach the women that god answers prayer and so that that was a dramatic one but there was a mm-hmm. woman who had kind of a big baby and big babies need bigger diapers. And we learned real quick that you can put a smaller baby in a bigger diaper, but you ain't putting a bigger baby in a smaller diaper. <laughs> and so she come to me and she said, Miss Kim, I need size five diapers. I'm like, my kid can't like, we're trying to do this cloth thing, which is just gross. And <laughs> if you're cloth people, I'm sorry, but it's gross. <laughs> I ain't washing that. Um, <laughs> and so she's like, Miss Kim, I need size five diapers. I said, well, I said, look, we serve a God that cares about your baby, cares about you, and you need to pray and pray specific. Pray that God will send you size five diapers. You know, a couple of days go by, she comes back. She said, Miss Kim, I'm praying and there ain't no diapers coming. <laughs> and I said, just keep praying. Like, you have to be faithful. You be faithful to pray and God will be faithful to answer your prayers. And it took another couple of days and all of a sudden she comes flying him off and she's like, he did it. He did it. And I'm like, he did what? And a woman in the church had gone shopping at Costco or something, and they had some clothes out sale on all these extra diapers. And she's she comes in, she's like, I'm really sorry, all they had was size five. And of course, you know, most of the women are like, and this one woman is just going, she's like, so excited because God had heard, you know, her prayer for size five diapers. And that's pretty awesome. That is awesome. <laughs> Kim, we, we've been going through the book of Acts at mm-hmm. Family Church, and Jimmy and our other pastors have been saying that that God is in the people development business. And so as believers, we're supposed to be in the people development business, too. And another organization that's in the people development business is the United States military, <laughs> correct? So that's correct. they can get all kinds of people coming from all kinds of backgrounds, uneducated, educated, poor, rich, they don't care. They're not respecter of persons either in that way that they will train you to do the mission because they they know how to develop people. And so then you get into the church who is developing people for an even greater mission. How has God helped you use the experience of developing others in the military to translate that to being a people developer for for life and for for the gospel, because you are such a great example of that in our church. So tell our listeners about that. How does that how does that help? Yeah, I think there's a lot of things that translate well mm-hmm. from the military, and the main thing about the military is mission comes first, mm-hmm. right? So it's not there's not any individual person that that you know that is more important than in, in another person and in order for any mission to be successful every part of the mission has to work well and when you translate to the body of Christ you know there there are different roles there are different callings there's different giftings but they all matter and they are all essential like we we just we're in an environment where not only do we have the most important mission but the mission will not be accomplished if everybody's not doing their part exactly what God designed them to mm-hmm. do and so I think like really having a firm focus on that, I look at even my team and I know I can't empty all the trash cans. I can't clean all the bathrooms. I can't maintain all these facilities, 
I need these guys. Our church needs these guys and these ladies. And if there's any part that I can play in helping a person find out where they are and then find out what God gifted you with and what is the next step for you, any part you can play in that is really just an honor and a privilege. And I, I actually have my my bachelor's degrees in education, of all things. Mm-hmm. One of the things in one of my classes that really stuck with me was the, the role of a teacher is to to take every student individually as far as that student can go. Mm-hmm. And that that mark is going to be different for every student. And that may be true even of your of your kids. Like the you, right. you really as yeah. a role, they've all got different different. Um, missions and roles and gifts, giftings from God, but your role is to, to develop every bit of that in each of them as best yeah. and as long as you can. And so I, I just translate all of that to, to our team and to what we're trying to do here and put mission first. And then, you know, every single person ha- has a role to play. And I think really the joy of people development is, is it's next level in terms of you set aside any credit for things. And when, when you see almost, I guess the term would be like the light bulb goes off. When Mm -hmm. you see somebody grab on in complete engagement and understand with you what the mission is. And then they start thinking ahead of on their own, like they're, that's just joy. (laughs) Like you just get, Mm -hmm. you know, and maybe not everybody's wired that way, but I, I really do. I get enjoyment from that. And when somebody brings me an idea that I didn't even ever talk about, like, I'm like, yes, we're getting there. That's yeah, the right yeah. thing. And and honestly, it's that next man up philosophy. You know, I don't want to be fatalistic, but anybody can be removed at any time. And yeah. you've not really set the church up for success if you you either pass on or move on and there's not somebody behind you to take yeah, take yeah. on the take up the mantle. Yeah, so. that's right. So Kim, as as you're talking about developing people, you mentioned earlier about your Bible study with singles. So tell us how in your singleness are you helping to develop other singles? Yeah, it's funny in the in the church environment, singleness is kind of take I think taking a bad rap. I, I feel like our pastor has done a good job of, especially in recent years, of kind of reframing that mm-hmm. and like reminding everyone that Jesus was single and Paul was single, <laughs> and these are people that we look up to, um, and so not think of of God's will for relationship to only be a marriage relationship, and to think that you actually need single people and the capacity mm-hmm. that they bring to ministry to yeah. be able to further, further again, further the mission. And I know there's in the many years we've done Bible study, I've had some women who it is the absolute heartbreak of their life that they're still single. They, you know, they, they want to be moms. They want to be wives. That's the, really the heartbeat. I've have other women who are kind of ambivalent. They're like, eh, you know, if it happens, great. If it doesn't, I probably land somewhere in that camp. And to try to really minister to every one of those women where they are and what, what the, I mean, whether it's a hurt or it's a, just an acceptance and to remind all of them though that hey it may be for a season it may be forever but you still have this greater greater purpose mm-hmm. and I, I even like I told you guys before we started that I was listening to some of your podcasts and my first thought when Jesus asked me to do this I was like well, what do I have in common with these ladies <laughs> um, I was like you know these are like family church royalty to me and I'm like oh. <laughs> um, we're not yeah <laughs> but but as I was listening I was like you know what the prime feature of your lives are not your husbands and your kids. Mm-hmm. The prime feature of your lives is your walk with Christ. Yes. And 
you it, just listening to you, you, you do everything you can to maintain that to be the centerpiece because you know the relationship with your husband or relationship with your kids is not going to function right if that's not true. Yeah. Yeah. So it's no different for single women. That yeah. The prime feature of our lives is our walk with Christ. And even listening to Jeannie the other day and just, you know, you may not have gotten the ticket that you, you thought you were going to get to the place you were going to go. But if Christ is the center of that, you know he chose that for you. Yeah. And you have to trust that. You yeah. have to trust that. And so if he chose for you to be a wife and a mother, and there may be some days you're like, that single girl's got it. Like, <laughs> um, or if he chose for you to, to, to really just to devote yourself to him, that's okay. That is that is God's plan for your life, and you have to you just have to trust that and trust that the view that He has is the beginning to the end, right? Mm-hmm. Alpha Omega. And so, what He sees is not what we see, and what the the bride needs is not necessarily what we need. And so, I I really just try to teach these women that for whether it's for a season or forever. Your job is to latch on and serve and be a part of this, and it's not always going to be easy. Sure. I mean, I'm renovating my kitchen right now. I don't, I'm not that strong and I don't know what I'm doing, but hopefully we'll have a sink at the end of it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, so there are, there are challenges, but that, that doesn't negate that it's God's best for you. Yeah. Wow. wow. That's good. Kim, it's, it's been such a joy to have you here. Um, it's, it's just mind blowing. You know, you, you've been in so many places, your eyes have seen so many things and yet we see how God has used all of that for His glory, His kingdom, and how you're now working towards helping others and empowering others, no matter where their walk in life it is right now. And no matter if you're a single mom or you're single or you're married or unmarried or with kids or no kids, just listening to your story is so encouraging. And no matter what station in life we are, but we will keep talking to you forever because first we love you. And second, your life story is just amazing. So powerful. <laughs> I mean, 41 countries. 41 countries. We'll share some of the pictures on, on our social media because she has some amazing, powerful oh, right pictures and yeah. um, the countries she's been. But for now, we got to sign out. So join us and say goodbye. So ladies, let's say goodbye. Ready? One, two, three. Bye. Bye.